0: Zanden and Corey Janoff welcome back to financial clarity for doctors everyone thanks for tuning in today this is Rochelle van der Zanden here with Corey Janoff
1: hello Hello.
0: Uh, we have a lot of different listeners with this podcast, I feel like there's a lot of folks who want to learn about more complicated topics like tax loss harvesting and backdoor Roths and things like that. But then there are other folks who are just trying to gain a little bit of knowledge and are at maybe more of a beginner letter or level. That's what I was trying to say there. And so in this episode, we actually just wanted to spend some time going back to the basics and and giving people a solid foundation for investing. We're going to spend some time talking about like the different accounts that you can invest into and also what the investments look like inside of those accounts. And I think some people do like make the mistake of kind of thinking it's the same thing. If I open a Roth IRA, I have an investment. If you open a Roth IRA, you have an investment account. You don't necessarily have an investment. It's kind of two different things. So we're gonna spend some time talking about that. Basically the account itself kind of determines how the IRS is going to treat it, your, your money from a tax perspective. And then what's inside is what kind of drives performance. And, and that's what we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about today. But first, we're going to spend some time on the account piece. And basically, it's where do we want to put our money? Like, what do we want to prioritize? What accounts are best for each person to use? And what does that look like with those individual accounts? Yeah. Anything else to add, Corey, just on the overview piece?
1: No, I think this is kind of the investments 101 class. Maybe we'll dip into a little bit of the 201 As well, but more or less, just try and get a rough understanding of all right, we have different accounts, what do they mean? What are the rules? Different types of investments that can go inside of those accounts and and kind of a rough overview of what those are and how they work. And then hopefully that'll give you a better understanding of what the heck you're actually investing in across your various accounts that you have.
0: And I will say that even for people with a little bit of, of slightly advanced knowledge, this is a, a good thing to be listening to. Because I think sometimes people skip over 101 and they go to 301 or 303 when they haven't really gotten some of that foundational information like taxes. So I think this could be useful for anybody that's listening
1: absolutely these are the fundamentals you you talk to any pro athlete they they work a lot on the fundamentals the basics and that's what all the rest of everything else comes from absolutely so where should we start
0: I think retirement plans at work I think that's the one a lot of people start with
1: yes so and depending on your workplace setting These could vary widely. uh, What what's available to you? Like if you're a a hospital employee or at a large group practice, most likely you either have a 401k or a 403b. Those are the two common ones, and for all intents and purposes, they're the exact same thing from your perspective. There are some nuances and minor differences, but but overall, they're pretty much identical from from the savers' standpoint. And with those 401ks, 403bs, uh, they there's a limit on how much you can add each year but they also have some nice tax benefits associated to them so generally anytime there's there's tax benefits there's going to be some some limitations and restrictions on that account So, for example, currently, if you're employed at a a, a hospital, for example, you can put up to $19,500 per year into your 401k or 403b. If you're age 50 or over, you can do an additional $6,500. So there's a little perk for getting older. They give you some catch-up contributions. And uh, your employer can put additional monies in on top of that. So the, the grand total can actually be... Currently fifty eight thousand plus an additional sixty five hundred if you're age fifty plus, so sixty four thousand five hundred. And we don't want to get too technical with the with the numbers today, but but in short, you can a large amount of money can go into those plans. It's just the bulk of it would have to come from the employer um, if if they're going to hit that true max limit. Now, if you're self employed and and you own your own practice or you're an independent contractor, maybe you do locums you are both the employee and the employer, so you can actually put that full $58,000 amount in but, uh, but for, kind of
0: depending on your
1: income level. True, yeah. You have to have enough income to mm-hmm. justify it. Um, but in short, you know, most people will be able to do $19,500, and you can either make this contribution as a pre-tax or a Roth contribution. Pre-tax means you get a tax deduction when you put the money in, which is pretty cool. If you, for easy math, let's say you make $100,000 and put 10000 into the retirement plan at work pre-tax the IRS is only going to tax you on 90,000 of income that year. Pretty neat. It's like the IRS is high-fiving you for saving for retirement. Nice government we have. Um, but when you're in retirement and you pull money out of the pre-tax account, you have to pay ordinary income taxes on the amount you withdraw in the year you withdraw it. And you can be completely retired, not working at all. Whatever you withdraw from that account, the IRS treats it like you worked and earned it as income and they tax you accordingly. If it's a Roth contribution, it's the opposite. No tax break up front, but the money comes out tax-free in retirement. Um, There's a couple nuances there. You you have to be uh, over the age of 59 and a half to withdraw money from these retirement accounts. And for a Roth, I guess it's just the Roth IRA. You have to have held it for at least five years. But Um, Pros and cons to both. It's either pay taxes now or pay taxes later. Either way, you're paying taxes. But uh, there's some tax benefits on either the front end or the back end, depending on which way you go about it. Yes, anything else to add on the 401k, 403b side, Rochelle?
0: No, I mean, I think that for a lot of people, 19500 might seem like a lot of money. And if you're listening and you're in training, like that's probably not doable. You know, if you're putting five or 10% away, like give yourself a high five for saving. Um, but as an attending, like 19500 it will be fairly limiting a lot of times. Like you can contribute that maximum and still be in a position where you, you need to save more. Um, and then when we're talking about like the pre-tax versus Roth question. A lot of times if you are in training or you know if you're in a situation where you're you're likely making less now than you will in the future, it'll make sense to do those Roth contributions if you can. Not every employer plan will have a Roth option. So some 401k's, some 403b's have a Roth option for saving into those plans. If you don't see that, it just automatically means that it's pre-tax. So if you don't see anything that that's specified Roth, then it is a pre-tax contribution and you're getting that tax break up front. So, you know, it's kind of a bummer when you're, you know, saving and you're like getting a match, but you can't save on a Roth basis, but it's still saving, like getting those tax deductions now and saving into a tax deferred account is still a good thing.
1: Yeah. And when it's all said and done, we'll kind of wrap up at the end with this, but the different accounts that you have, the different investments you can pick at the end of the day, how much you save and invest for your goals matters, and in this particular case for retirement, um, matters far more than the specific accounts you're investing in or the specific investments you pick. Yeah, that'll make a minor difference in the grand scheme of things, but no one can predict the future on what the returns will be for different investments and what the tax treatment will be uh, in the future, um, or at least the tax rates, I should say. So, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're saving a healthy amount, you're going to be in good shape. And we've talked before try and save at least 20% of income for retirement, and then you'll be on a good track. And With Roth accounts, you've heard there's income limits. That's just on Roth IRAs. You can make a Roth contribution to your 401k or 403b at work regardless of income. And then depending on your employment setting, your employer may also have some additional retirement accounts through work. Like a 457B is common if you're employed at a hospital. And uh, that, it's similar to the 403B or 401K. You can put 19500 into it pre-tax. Um, nice way to uh, invest additional money in a tax-favorable manner. Um, the the uh, I guess a, a perk of the 457 if, is that you don't have to wait until you're 60 years old to touch the money. You can actually pull it out before then without penalty, whereas with a 401k or 403b or IRA, if you pull it out before you're 59 and a half, round up to 60. There's a penalty, uh, so you don't want to touch that money until then. But 457s don't have the penalty. Downside with a 457 is, depending on the employer, there may be some restrictions on when you leave the employer, what you can do with that money. Uh, you often can't roll it to an IRA or another employer's retirement plan. Some 457 plans say, oh, when you leave the employer, you just have to cash out the account. And pay taxes on the whole balance. That may not be ideal. So make sure you're looking at the distribution options before enrolling in that 457 plan. But if they're flexible distribution options, that can be a nice additional savings vehicle. I guess one other note on the 457s is uh, while the money's in that plan, it's technically subject to the creditors of, of the institution, so like if your hospital ever goes bankrupt, they potentially could dip into the 457 account um, to pay back their creditors. So it's really not your money until you actually withdraw it. Um, so something to keep in mind, You know you want to make sure your employer is on sound financial footing if you're going to do that plan as well. And then occasionally we'll see other types of accounts, like a 401A is common at hospitals where usually the employer sets a fixed percentage that goes into those. They aren't really an optional plan that you can participate in. It's just kind of a, here's what it is and congratulations. You're You have it.
0: And a lot of times the employer contributions or like those are funded by employer contributions. I guess one other thing to note is that like if you worked multiple jobs and you had like multiple 401ks or 403bs or something like that, that 19,500 limit would be across all of those. But when you have like a 457b, you actually get to do an additional 19,500 on top of that contribution limit for like a 401k or a 403b. So it is a way to save more, which can be really helpful.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that 401a is completely separate also. Mm-hmm. And I guess another thing we're starting to see, um, a, a pop up more and more frequently, still rare, but more common as the days go by, um, is allowing you to make after tax contributions to your 401k or 403b at work. In addition to that standard 19500 limit. Now, after-tax is different from Roth. So, if it's an after-tax deposit um, and a Roth deposit, you're, there's still no tax benefit up front. Both are going into the account after you've already been taxed on your income. But with a Roth account, money comes out tax-free in retirement. An after-tax account, you still have to pay taxes on all the investment earnings when you pull the money out. So, the only reason you do one of these after-tax options is if they allow you to convert the after-tax money into a Roth account. This is kind of like the backdoor Roth IRA, which if you haven't listened to that episode, I think it was about a year ago, definitely encourage you to to listen to that one. Um, But it's nicknamed the mega backdoor Roth because you can contribute tens of thousands into these after tax buckets and convert them into Roth accounts, which is pretty slick if you're looking to save more money for retirement.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I think those are, there's a, a few employers that offer those, but it seems to be the really big employers.
1: Correct. Yeah. I suppose if you're self employed, you could implement it for yourself, but. Um, Most people would probably elect to to do the larger pre-tax deposit if you're making a good income. Right. Absolutely. Then the last uh, one that we'll sometimes see is a cash balance pension plan. And if you're self-employed, these can be a fantastic way if you're really looking to stuff a lot of money away for retirement and save on taxes while doing so, because you can make pre-tax contributions to these cash balance plans, and the limits are really high. It varies by age, but if, say, you're in your 30s, you potentially could contribute upwards of 75000 a year pre-tax provided you have the earnings to do so. And if you're in your 60s, it might be upwards of 300000 a year that you potentially could contribute to these accounts pre-tax. So they're really a good way to, to reduce your taxes while saving for retirement. The catch is they don't quite work like your typical 401k or 403b, where you pick and choose the different investments. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, They typically have a target return objective, and in order to meet that, they generally set the bar rather low, so it's going to be a little bit more conservative of an investment. but more so a, a tax-saving metric um, than, a, than a growth, investment growth objective. Uh, but still, for, for an additional bucket to save into, those can be a nice tool if you have it available through your employer or if you're self-employed and you're looking to save more money. But uh, that's kind of getting into the investments mm-hmm. 301 <laughs> section. Yeah, that's
0: okay, though. <laughs> so, let
1: do a we we'll maybe do another episode one day on cash balance plans. Absolutely, that's just a little teaser for you.
0: Yeah, I think it is interesting. So most of the time, when you have like a, a plan at work, like a four hundred one k, a four hundred three b, like the piece we haven't gotten to yet is the investment piece. Like the account itself is not an investment, but when you set up a contribution into that account, most four hundred one ks and four hundred three bs, they will automatically put you into some sort of investment. So they'll have a list of like thirty or. 40 maybe less mutual funds that you can choose from um, and like if you don't pick they're just going to pick one for you and that's not the end of the world like I I wouldn't be overly concerned about that like if you're invested that's a good thing most of the time those funds that they automatically put you in they, they take on a certain amount of risk based on your age and based on what they are guessing your retirement date will be based on what your age is right now so if you're fairly young it's going to be fairly aggressive if you're or a little bit older, a little bit closer to retirement age, it's going to be fairly conservative. Um, but I do think it, it makes sense to kind of be aware of what your options are. Um, maybe check in with someone before messing around with things too much. But there are sometimes ways where you can like pick and choose other funds that are available to you, and and maybe reduce your costs or maybe you know spread out your your investments a little bit more. So that I would say like. If you're not sure, leave it in the default. <laughs> if you want to talk to someone about it, definitely do that, and and just be be cautious with those.
1: Yeah, for sure. Early on in the careers, those target date funds are, are usually pretty sufficient in in meeting the investment objectives, but not always. You know, depending on your risk tolerance and everything, you know, it might not be totally appropriate. But as you progress further, um. You know, everyone is treated the same in those target date funds. So, like two 60 year olds in the same target date fund who may have completely different financial pictures and need a different investment allocation to meet their goals and needs, you know, they might need to do something a little more customized. But um, it's a good, easy, set it and forget it, hands off approach, but you know, often it might make sense to to tailor things a little more specifically to your particular circumstances.
0: Yeah, definitely. Anything else on plans through work?
1: No, I mean, we'll kind of overlap with IRAs when talking about simples and SEPs, but we can get into that next. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so IRAs are just individual retirement accounts. So as opposed to like the 401ks and the 403bs of the world where your your work kind of sets it up, an IRA is something that you set up on your own. And there are some similarities where, you know, you can have like a pre-tax account, which is called like a traditional IRA normally, maybe like a rollover IRA. That's one where you get a tax deduction. Or you can set up a Roth IRA, which is post-tax money, money that you put in after you've already paid taxes and then the money gets to grow, and you get to take out that money if you're retired in the appropriate age without having to pay any taxes on the distribution. Um, the The contribution limits for those plans is, is lower than the plans for your employer. So with new contributions into IRAs, you can only do $6,000 per year as of 2021. Um, with employer plans, with IRAs, sometimes those limits go up a little bit just as inflation goes up, but that's kind of what the numbers look like right now, which isn't a ton, You know, like, especially if we're trying to to save a, a lot for retirement, if we have a, a large income, but I do think it, it's one more chance to get money into an account that has a lot of tax advantages. So even for people with with higher incomes, it can be a good tool. But it gets a little bit complicated when you make more money. So with the Roth IRA specifically, there are limits on how much money you can make and actually put money into those accounts. So if you're a single filer, for example, around one hundred twenty five thousand dollars of income. Income, you're no longer allowed to make a Roth IRA contribution. Um, and then there's there's ranges also, if you're, if you're married, it's around 200,000. If you're married filing separately, you basically can't have any income and put money directly into a Roth IRA. They make it really hard to do. There is like a, a backdoor Roth that you can potentially do. It kind of depends on your situation. Um, we have an entire episode about that. I do think it's worthwhile for people to pursue that if they can, if you can get some more money into a Roth IRA, even when you're over the income limit. It just takes a few extra steps for most people. Um, so a little bit of work, but definitely some big tax advantages. And then another similarity to like the, the work plans is that you have to be age 59 and a half before you can take out that money without a penalty. And then if it's a Roth IRA, you need to have had that, that account open and funded for at least five years. Um, so again, some similarities. Again, it's not an investment. Like when you open up that account and when you put money in, that's not something that's going to be automatically invested for you. So that's a little bit different than your employer plan. Like they have a default that your money is going to go into. Your IRA will not. It is something that you have much more control over. And so if you open an IRA, you know, with a a company and you set it up on your own, like they're going to expect you to to pick an investment to put inside that account or else it's not going to grow. You know, it might get like a tiny bit of interest and that's about it. Um, And then the traditional traditional IRA, there's also income limitations there. Like, if you make a certain amount of money, they're not going to let you take a tax deduction. So, like, that's kind of the purpose of those pre-tax plans is that we get a tax deduction. So, at a certain point, it just doesn't make sense to make traditional IRA contributions anymore because it's not even going to yield that tax deduction. And then, Corey, I know we like sort of alluded to this, but there are a couple of IRAs that you can set up yourself for like if you're self-employed. So like a self-employed IRA or a SEP IRA is one of those options. Um, that one has a much higher limit as far as like the dollar amount that you can put in. And it, it's based on that that same 401k contribution number. It's around like 58,000 right now. Is that right, Corey? Something like that.
1: Yeah, they have the same max. It's, but it's not like you can do a fixed dollar amount. It's basically a percentage right. of your earnings. So it's roughly twenty percent of your earnings up to the current fifty-eight thousand yeah. limit. And SEPs are like, yeah, you might do that if you're self-employed. Although I probably would advocate doing a solo four hundred one k because if you have a SEP, you can't really do the backdoor Roth IRA because you can't have any other pre-tax IRAs around. And you used to see them more at smaller employers, like if there's just a few uh, people at a practice, but we don't see that as much anymore because they aren't really as favorable for the company because the company has to make rather large contributions to the staff's accounts as well with SEPs. So it's usually either if you're self-employed and just want something simple to save money pre-tax and you don't care about the backdoor Roth IRA, then a SEP could make sense. It's easier to implement and less expensive than a solo 401k. Um, the simple IRA, those are more common amongst small practices. Like if you're just a you know a single doc, or maybe you have a partner. Um, it's just one or two physicians, and then a handful of staff members. We see these really commonly at dental practices, where it's you know a handful of total employees, one practice owner, that's the doctor, and the limits are a lot smaller but as the acronym makes it sound, they're they're simple. (laughs) It's easy, easy to set up, easy to implement. Everyone has their own account. They can put up to $13,500 in per year, plus a catch up if they're over age 50. And then the employer does a 3% match on that and easy peasy. So less complex than the 401k. You can invest, you know, similarly, um, But, you know, you can't do the backdoor Roth IRA if you have a simple. So that's one of those where if you own your own practice and maybe you're just kind of getting things up and running and you don't have the means to invest a ton for retirement, that could be a good stepping stone to start with. But ultimately, you're probably going to want to transition to a 401k type account or you can save considerably more for retirement. Mm
0: hmm. So all of these accounts that we're talking about have some limitations as far as like how much money we can put in, but obviously some good tax advantages. And then I think the the one that you hear colleagues talk about maybe a lot and things like that is, is more of like the brokerage accounts. So the Robin Hoods of the world and, you know, the the Schwabs and everything like that. Like you can also have one with an advisor, but these are the ones where people generally are buying like individual stocks and kind of messing around and stuff like that. The The difference with these brokerage accounts is that like we don't get a tax deduction up front. We don't get tax deferred growth or like tax free distributions and so Instead, you can put as much money as you want into them. There's no like restrictions on or like penalty taxes for taking it out at a certain point in time. And then all of the gains in that account. So basically if if you make money and then you sell out of an investment, that's a gain. All of those gains are taxable. And if you hold an investment for a year or less, it's just like income taxes. It's like the same rate. So if you're in a 22% income tax bracket, you pay 20 22% on that gain. But if you hold the investment for longer than a year, then you get to pay something called long term Term capital gains, which right now, long-term capital gains are are a little bit lower than income taxes. So if you're, your income tax bracket is 22%, your long-term capital gains tax rate right now is 15%. So they do give you incentives to to hold on to things for a little bit longer. A lot of times with retirement plannings and things like that, like we are maxing out all of those tax-advantaged accounts. So we're putting as much as we can into the 401k. We're putting as much as we can into the IRAs. And then you may still need to save more in order to reach your goals. And that's where that brokerage account can come in because you can put as much money as you want in there. You can put a lot of money in there, and, and there's no restrictions on, on that piece of it. And then it's also very easily accessible. It's also the account that you can get to before age 59 and a half. So if we wanna be really aggressive about retirement savings and we want to retire at age 50, we need to have some money that's accessible to us at that point in time. So that's where those ones can be most useful. Anything else to add there, Corey?
1: no those are just kind of your swiss army knife of of investment accounts Mm -hmm. you can use it for anything your market for retirement for college for the vacation home down payment you know whatever no restrictions no limitations you do whatever you want with it invest in whatever you want to it's not like the 401k at work where you have a limited menu of investments to pick from you could literally invest in pretty much anything under the sun that's available. GameStop. Through, yeah. <laughs> Not a buy recommendation.
0: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> through whatever institution you're investing in. Mm-hmm. And um, like, at, you know, a lot of institutions, if you have a large enough account, you can even set up a line of credit uh, on that account. So kind of like a home equity line of credit where you have accessible cash, you know, without having to sell any investments, you know, you could borrow some money, uh, you know, pay a small interest rate on it, and then pay it back as as, uh, as you have the means to to you know fund whatever projects you have on the house, home down payments. You know, you owe some taxes and don't want to sell investments to pay the taxes. You know, that can be a neat opportunity um, to have a, a additional funds available. So.
0: So that was a pretty thorough overview of all the buckets. So we have the buckets at work, we have the IRA buckets, and then we have, like, the brokerage account buckets. And then after that, we're like, you know, when you're making these decisions about where to put your money, you also have to make decisions about how to invest your money. And that's that's important, too. Like, it's not necessarily, like ridiculously important to be caught up in the minutia all the time, but your money needs to be invested or else it's not going to grow. So what is typically like inside of these accounts is things like mutual funds and stocks and bonds? And I think sometimes people aren't even quite sure what those building blocks are. But just as a, a quick overview, I think stocks are probably the thing that people are most familiar with. Like a stock, you you buy a share of Apple. It's like you own a tiny, tiny piece of Apple. And then your risk when you invest in a stock is like the price fluctuates and maybe you have to sell when the stock price is down. Or maybe like if it's an individual company, maybe the company goes bankrupt and you your shares are worth nothing. Um, maybe there's some changes in the economy that makes that sector of the market like really unfavorable. Maybe you just lose a, a great deal of value in that stock Um, but over time like that stock price can go up and down stocks can also issue dividends to their shareholders so if apple has some excess profits and they decide to issue a dividend like each little shareholder gets a, a little tiny piece of that profit so that's another way that that stocks can potentially make money um generally that it's considered like a more aggressive move because there can be a lot more up and down, but there's a lot more upside potential too. And that's just as opposed to bonds, like bonds are the other main sector of the market that we kind of talk about when we're talking about investments. There's also other small things like real estate and commodities and things like that. But just for our purposes today, we want to cover some of the basics. Um, And bonds are, are basically like a debt product. So you are the lender. And there may be an individual company or a governmental entity, like local government, state government, the federal government, and you are lending that entity money. As an example, we might like buy a $1,000 bond from Coca-Cola because they want to build a factory. And maybe we have a 10-year time horizon on that bond, and we get 5% interest. So we give them $1,000. Each year, we get $50 of interest. And then at the end of that 10-year period, we get our $1,000 back. There's still some risks there. Like if the company or the government defaults on that bond, you might not get anything. You might get, you know, no interest or potentially only a portion of your original investment back. Um, But they are generally considered a little bit lower risk because there's a little bit more structure to them. Like we kind of, it's more predictable. We know what the, like the investment is. We know what the interest is. We know what we're supposed to get back at the end of that period of time. So when we're talking about what we choose to invest in, a lot of times we want to pay attention or like pay most attention to how long you have to be invested. So if you're a really young investor, stocks probably make more sense because that up and down is not as big of a deal because we don't really care that much what the value of our, our holdings is in two or three years. What we care about is what that value is when we get to retirement and when we need to sell that money. So if we can get a little bit more over the long term, then that's probably what we want to do. Um but we do want to make sure like we're diversifying too. Like being overly concentrated in one stock or one bond, or like companies from one bond or bonds from one company, like that that can lead to its own problem. So diversification is key and that's where the mutual funds come in. Mutual funds. Tell us about them, Corey. Yes. <laughs>
1: you know, picture like a stock or a bond as a single slice of pepperoni and picture a mutual fund as a Large pepperoni pizza. So you got a bunch of slices of pepperoni all over the map, and uh, a mutual fund is just a collection of a bunch of different securities, whether that be stocks or bonds or commodities or whatnot. Um, just a bunch of different things. So you have your apples, your Coca Colas, your Microsofts, your Googles, your Johnson you know, and Johnson Pfizer's, and Johnson mm-hmm. and Johnson. You know every, you know all the big companies you've heard of. Plus, you know. Thousands of companies you've never heard of. I think there's about 4,500 publicly traded companies in America alone. So, you know, a lot of opportunities to spread that risk around. And there's thousands of mutual funds. I think there's probably more mutual funds than there are actual stocks. And if you include exchange traded funds, which are more or less the same as a mutual fund there's some technical differences but we won't get into that today um, and, and each one has a different set of objectives and goals and and you know risk profiles you know one fund might Specifically, invest in large U.S. company stocks. Another fund might invest in small international stocks. Another might invest in government bonds. Another might be corporate bonds. So there's whatever you're looking for to invest in. There are mutual funds out there that that will meet that objective. You know, whether that be socially responsible investments, you name it, healthcare stocks. Like the, there's something for everyone, and. Uh, And depending on the goals and objectives of the fund and your investments, you want to try and align those things together. And like you said, Rochelle, be diversified. So if you don't just want to have one stock, we'd want to have a bunch of different stocks. But we don't just want to have a bunch of large U.S. company stocks. We want some small U.S. company stocks and some international stocks and areas around the globe and of different sectors of the economy. So, ideally, we have different mutual funds that have different investment objectives. So, we're not putting all our eggs in one basket and not putting all of our baskets on the same truck heading in the same direction. So, spreading that risk around by having different companies, different sectors, Different countries that we're exposed to to spread that risk around further. And that's a good way for you know individual retail investors like yourselves to be diversified with a small amount of money. You know, most mutual funds don't have very large minimum investment requirements. So you have a few hundred bucks, you can get exposed to hundreds, if not thousands, of individual company stocks. Like if you bought a Total U.S. stock market index fund. You now are exposed to the entire U.S. stock market with a very small initial investment, and I guess that's another subset of mutual funds are the index funds, which just try and mirror a specific index, like the S&P 500 is probably the the most common one people have heard of, and uh, it's often cited the most in the news. And all the S&P 500 is is the roughly 500 largest. Companies in the U.S. that are publicly traded, and for a simple example, to make an S&P 500 uh, index fund, you just buy all 500 of those companies' stocks, and there you have it—you know, one share of each—and now you have an index fund. Um, Yeah. And their whole the whole objective of those index funds is just to mirror the index and uh, for better or worse. That's the objective.
0: It's a very much like um, if you can't beat them, join them strategy and it can be very cheaply done, which is why they're very attractive to, to some people.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very inexpensive to do, cause like literally a high school student could manage that fund for you. It's <laughs> just buy these 500 companies, <laughs> but it's usually done by computer algorithms. Yeah. Exactly, and they might have a management team that oversees. All right, when do we make the adjustments to mirror that index? But it's a pretty simple strategy. There's not a whole lot of research. Uh, involved uh, versus like actively managed funds, they might have a more precise investment objective, and and they're they might be trying to beat a particular benchmark, um, or or you know accomplish things with less risk or whatever the goals are. You know they're they're gonna ha- be a little more expensive to operate um, because a little more work is involved, a little more research involved to try and hand select which companies are ideal. And if you go out there and read the internet and the blogs out there, you know there there's a you know it's almost like like you know, Democrats versus Republicans, left versus right. Which is the correct way? Which is better? And um, you know, active versus versus index. And and there's there's a reason both exist. There's there's pros and cons to both. There's no perfect one for everyone. I, I think you can ultimately accomplish your goals and objectives with either or a combination. Um, it, it really, again, like we said earlier, it boils down to you know, how much are you investing for your goals? And then just the broad general areas you're investing in. And then from there, it's more just personal preference. You know, do you want to just mirror the index and keep it simple? If you're a retail investor managing your own investments, probably the best route to go because you don't have the time in the day between work and family to really spend researching and understanding the investments. So just keeping it simple and, and doing the index funds is probably ideal. But if you have the tools and resources and time and desire to, to research things, you know, you may have an appetite for, for you know a, a portion of your portfolio to be in those you know more active uh, areas and, and you know accomplish a specific objective. You know, from our standpoint, we don't have a preference or opinion one way or the other. It's more just what are your goals and objectives, and, and how do you go about meeting those objectives the best way possible. But uh, but in short, you know, mutual funds are probably going to be a large component of your investment world because typically they're the only thing you can invest in in a 401k or 403b at work. They also will will predominantly make up a a large portion of your other investments as well, like your Roth IRAs and brokerage accounts for most of you. Um, so so they're. Like in its simplest form, just a collection of a bunch of different securities. So a good way to be diversified. It's really hard for a mutual fund to go to zero because <laughs> if that were to happen, every company that you're invested in would simultaneously have to fail. And if that were the case, we we'd probably have bigger things to worry about than where our money is at that point in time. So,
0: yeah, I think I. That's a good overview of like all the different pieces. And I think it brings us back to that original point where it's just, you know, the account itself does not do anything on the investing side that tells you what the tax treatment is and then the investments inside are what determine like how everything does in the long term. So, you know, we got to pay attention to that. I think in general, we want to make sure that we're we're maxing out those tax favorable accounts first so your plans at work your iras of the world all of that and and then going to those brokerage accounts where you can put more away one thing that that really does for you as an investor is in retirement like you're gonna have options like if you have some money that's in pre-tax accounts and some money that's in roth accounts and some money that's in like a brokerage account and one that's subject to capital gains taxes in any given year taxes can vary like they they switch over the years. And if you're in a given year and you can pick and choose which account you pull from and basically choose like what kind of tax you're going to pay at that point in time, that's really, really powerful. So if you're in a year where taxes are really high, then we can maybe choose to take some money out of our Roth accounts and keep our, our taxable and or our, our taxable income really low. So I think that's something that that's kind of undervalued when we're talking about this with with people and something that is really, really worth paying attention to. And then beyond that, I mean, just invest according to your goals and like how long you have to be invested and how much risk you can stomach. If you know that you're a person that looks at account like taking a dive and your impulse is just gonna be to sell, 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 just let's take on a little bit less risk so you're not doing that. Because it's really, really important that we try to, to take emotions out of investing and be way more strategic about it. So if you need to, to make some adjustments so that you're not reacting emotionally, let. Let's Let's try to think about that ahead of time and then kind of build that into the plan. Um, Yeah. So you got to be able to sleep at night. You got to be able to stomach it. But also like we we hopefully can get to a point where we're willing to take on some risks if we have like a long time to be invested because more important than anything you, you just have to realize it if you're waiting for retirement 30 years from now and that's what you're investing for you know march of 2020 and april of 2020 doesn't matter like that huge drop during when everything was shutting down and everything it was really dramatic and it was really scary but in the in the long term like that's that's not going to be what determines whether or not your financial plan is successful and whether your retirement is successful. So I guess diversify, pay attention to the tax treatment, diversify within your accounts. Let's not put everything in Amazon, even when Amazon's killing it. Um, (laughs) Just spread things out. I don't know.
1: Well said. Yeah. Diversify, diversify, diversify. The point there is just you know, minimize the the chance of an adverse outcome negatively impacting you in a significant manner because no one can predict the future. No one has a crystal ball that knows what's going to be the best performing area. You know, whatever's done the best over the last decade is highly unlikely to not be the best performing area the next decade, let alone the next month, year, week, day. The, the more frequently you check your accounts, the more you're going to drive yourself nuts. So you know, there's <laughs> plenty of quotes out there. You know, If you're investing in stocks, just put the money in there and don't look at your account for 30 years. And then 30 years from now, you're going to be happy because most likely it will rise. No guarantees, of course, but you look throughout history, any 30-year stretch, the stock market is a lot higher at the end of the 30 years, than it was when it started. So, you know, the risk component—risk it, it, means different things to different people. So, it, it, kind of an abstract term, depending on what your investment objectives and goals are. You know, we want to make sure we're we're accommodating that risk accordingly. In the short term, you know, risk is your uh, investments going down in value. So if we need the money in the short term, let's try and avoid that risk. In the long term, for most of you, your biggest risk is probably inflation and outliving your money. So we need to do what we can to invest enough and invest in things that hopefully will grow over time so that we can outpace inflation and, and our money outlives us. Um you yeah, know, that's that's really the I think the biggest risk for most of you listening is is making sure your money grows enough to maintain your standard of living throughout your lifetime. And the, the best thing you can do to combat that risk is just save a large amount. Mm-hmm. It uh, solves a lot of problems if you save more than you need to be saving, because then you have flexibility and a buffer and an options.
0: Yeah. Pay yourself first. Booyah. Retirement, you will be so happy.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions about any of this stuff, I know it can get a little bit overwhelming. So feel free to send us an email, info at thefinitygroup.com or podcast at thefinitygroup.com. Either way, you'll get to us. Just let us know if you have questions, topics you want us to cover. We're always looking for suggestions.
1: Thanks. Have a good one.
0: We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group, LLC.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff.
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram Vanderzanin Van Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzannen. Van
1: check out all of the podcast episodes on the finitygroup.com slash podcast, on our finity group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.